CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, October 13th, 2022 is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the things there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of reefer madness you can pick up at your local dispensaries. And also columns from your very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help this program, you can. It's simple. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Where Are the Pals Thursday? And here's why. Well, I'll tell you why. Front page story, my beloved Bright One Home Delivered as always, Chicago Sun-Times. This is the headline. Belmont Cragen voters want to know where are the Pauls? Many residents of Northwest Side neighborhood feel largely forgotten by their elected officials. And this is one of a series of stories that the Sun-Times has been uh, writing over the last few weeks, interviewing uh, ordinary people, quote unquote, uh, voters throughout the state of Illinois. They did one, I think, in Waukegan. Uh, they did one downstate, which we talked about at length. Uh, and now this one, they come to the city of Chicago, the northwest side. Uh, shout out Manny Ramos, dear friend of the show, wrote the story. I found this story frustrating on so many levels. And I realize a part of what I'm about to say is the lament of just uh, an old news guy who has been obsessively following Chicago politics since 1981. I mean, like, no, I know every alderman, the name of anyway, of every ward. I can tell you state senators and state reps. I keep track of the mayoral candidates. I'm like obsessed with politics because at a very early age, I saw a connection between what happens in our daily lives, like whether our schools get funded, whether our neighborhoods get funded, what kind of taxes are, are funding government, will property taxes be rising, why can't we raise the state income tax? All these issues are interconnected and have uh, political realities that dictate them. Political realities being the uh, politicians we elect, the special interests behind the scenes who influence them uh, and the well-to-do largely special interests I like to point out that influence them. I've been watching this struggle in the city of Chicago for a long, long time, and it, it never fails to amaze me. I shouldn't be amazed anymore that not everybody shares my obsession about politics. Not everybody sees the connection between the powers that be who are funding the elected officials uh, and the elected officials uh, and the policies that the elected officials pursue. Not everybody sees the what the hypocrisy and the rhetoric where they say elected officials say one thing, but do something else because they're afraid of upsetting all kinds of forces in the city. 
Not everybody's paying attention. So uh, in this story about Belmont Cragen, Manny Ramos talks to one voter after another who is really alienated from the process. They don't know the name of their alderman. They don't know the name of their state rep. They're not sure which district they even live in. Now, I know part of that is the process. Chicago is a very uh, divided city, racial and ethnically. I understand that. Uh, we, we were like a very tribalistic community in Chicago, always have been. I think that's something I discovered when I moved here in 1981. What, where are you going to live? The South Side, the North Side? It was like these distinctions. You can't like the Cubs. You have to, you, if you like the Sox, you can't like the Sox. If you like the Cubs, like these weird things that Chicagoans buy into. Like we even on the South Side and the Southwest Side neighborhood, everybody be like, what parish do you belong to? Like, wait a minute. You think it's possible that somebody is not Catholic? Did you ever like think about what? So I understand that Chicago's a very uh, like tribalistic city, and Belmont Craig in this particular neighborhood is divided up in a lot of different political uh, districts. That's gerrymandering. I understand that. So people don't like their neighborhoods aren't linked to any one ward or one state rep. I understand that, but still, they. A level of alienation. They interviewed this one dude in uh, Belmont Cragen who said, I'm a Democrat, but I'm not voting for Pritzker. Not sure why he's not voting for Pritzker. Just said, I'm not voting for Pritzker. Who knows why? And then he go, well, they said, well, who are you going to vote for? Are you going to vote for the Republican? He didn't even know the name of the Republican. He wasn't sure who the Republican was. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I make fun of myself all the time for not knowing things, uh, like I was just chatting with our guest today. I didn't know who T.I. was today uh, until today, all right? So I'm sure people will be laughing. You don't know who T.I. is? So I understand there's a level of ignorance that all of us have when we live in our own little worlds. We don't connect with the worlds outside. Well, I get that, but I don't know. Come on, if you're going to venture an opinion about Pritzker, and you have a strong opinion about Pritzker, Shouldn't you at least know who the alternative is? Shouldn't you at least like take the moment to like read a newspaper or go online or listen to the news? Very frustrating because I spend so much of my time trying to explain politics, trying to understand politics, trying to let people realize these connections that are so key in their lives. And then, then there's the, that realization, oh my God, they're not paying attention. Anyway, I'm going to let that go for the moment. I'm going to uh, bring on my distinguished guest, uh, Dixon Romeo, uh, good friend of the show, community organizer uh, on the south side of Chicago. Dixon, can you hear me? Ben, I'm, I'm here. Welcome. Yes. Uh, and uh, I see the pulsating D, uh, but I don't see your beautiful face. But so I got a little uncertain there for the moment, but uh, all is well in the world. Um, Dixon is an organizer uh, with Not Me, We. And there's the beautiful face of Dixon Romeo. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, and this is like, I think his third or fourth visit to our show. I love talking to Dixon. Uh, yeah, I and, think, Ben, if, sorry to interrupt you, but if I recall last time I was here, I was told that this is this is my show now. Whenever I'm on, it's the Dixon Romeo show. Well, first of all, this guy should have his own podcast because he's really good on the mic. Uh, and he he could tell you who T.I. is, all right? He knew. I asked him. That was the trivia question. First question of the day. I go, I got a question for you, Dixon. I'm not trying to trip you up here. I know what he was thinking. What is he going to ask me? And, he, and then I gave him T.I. He goes, well, that's easy. Um, 
Let me ask you this, not to embarrass you, not to, but do you sure. know the name of your alderman? My alder person is retiring. Her name is Leslie Hairston. Okay. <laughs> That's All not, right. it's, organizers know everybody. That, that, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. All right. So you don't, you don't share my, uh, I think it may be an age thing. You know what I mean? It may be like these kids today don't know anything. But actually, now that I think about it, uh, there's quite a few people that <laughs> get mad. Uh, it's not only just old people they get mad at, at like the levels, you know, of of uh, knowledge that, that people I, have. Go ahead. Yeah, I think Ben, right? There's like, so I'll give you the yeah. So I think like the organizer in me is gonna you know want to point to that you know, disillusionment and like oppression are like key factors that play into why people don't engage in whatever institution it is that, you know, the, where you're maybe an older person in that institution and want folks to participate, right? Like that is a part of it. And some of that is intentional. I think when it comes to city government, it's incredibly intentional, right? Like you can't even, we just started recording and like live streaming city council meetings when? You know, like that, that is, that has been, you know, that, that, that that's a thing. Right. And so I, I can't remember when we started. Do you remember when we, when that started, you just yeah. sit at the computer and watch them live. Uh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Watching them live is definitely within the last 10 years. Uh, yeah. So, I'm, you know, like all that is part of, I think what factors into folks not knowing, right. You don't see the benefit. You also don't see the, the, the harm, right? Like you, you feel it, but you don't, you know, you don't assign a name to it sometimes, right? So I think that plays into it. The other piece of me also would say like, you know, I would put onus back on like folks who quote unquote older, right? Who feel like folks don't know. It's like, what spaces do you make to engage, <laughs> right? <laughs> to make that happen, right? Um, talking to somebody and talking at somebody is something that I learned in high school, right? Like after that fifth time, they had all of us in the gym talking about, you know, pull your pants up and stuff. You're like, all right, you know, whatever. You know, like <laughs> you can only get talked to so many times before you learn what people are doing. It, you know, uh, that's you raise many good points, and I'm pushing me back uh, from my level of hysteria. I thank you for that. Number one, talk to as opposed to talk with. Very good point. Uh, but the other point you make, and I will now go on a rail here. Or a rail. <laughs> Man, you are so correct. The, the city government of Chicago, it, it, it speaks with two tongues on this, if you will. You know what I mean? Like yeah. on one hand there, we want the voters to be engaged and we're putting everything on the internet. And, uh, you know, we believe in transparency. Uh, pretty much every mayor that I could think of uh, for the last 20 years has been uh, campaigning as a transparency uh, mayor. Uh, and then uh, we want voters engaged and registered, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and then they do everything they can in reality to sort of hide or conceal what they're doing. And your point about the uh, videotaping city council meetings uh, is a good one. I, I can remember it took um, Dixon. It wasn't until 2011. I remember this because I wrote about it at the time. Uh, was it 2000? No, 2007 or 2008. That was the year when they finally put the city council um, meeting agenda and uh, voting uh, results on the internet in the old days you mm -hmm. had to go a book that you 
it was it was like it, it was a big giant book big thick thing like a, a an old telephone book that you got to go to the library to get and mm-hmm. I, when he became a city uh, clerk i remember he goes well i'm gonna put it on the internet i'm like i got damn where we were like 20 years into uh the internet you know what i'm saying so your point's a good one uh that it could be part of uh part of the plan as they say to keep people ignorant so uh, I'm going to give you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So here, another story in the Sun-Times, lots of stories in the Sun-Times uh, to talk about today, Dixon. Uh, and this one has to do with uh, black contractors uh, and the level, the fact that year after year, um, the, the amount of money going to uh, black owned firms uh, by the city. This is an opportunity by the city to use its economic development muscle uh, to help people in a fair way. Uh, is low, abysmal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's like the same mm-hmm. story every year. It's Groundhog Day uh, every year when it comes to this issue. Right. And uh, so much of the work that you do is about um, using economic development dollars, using uh, trying to be more fair, more equitable, uh, so that some neighborhoods don't starve while other neighborhoods uh, benefit the most. So what's your thoughts about uh, this general issue about money going uh, to black contractors? Yeah, well, I think like um, as a organizer, as a community member, which, you know, are, are, are the same thing for me, right? Like when, when we talk about this, there's like several conversations happening at once that get loaded into it. I think the first one is like primarily like, you know, Chicago more or less is 30% black, 30% white. 30% Latinx, you know, and then uh, a combination of other, you know, people of color. Um, so if, if, if that's the, the demographics of the city, you know, common sense would make us think uh, that it would only be rational, right, for that to be the same makeup of the folks who are getting like city dollars to do services, right? Um, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that or wanting that or fighting for that. I just think we have to also acknowledge in that same sentence, the reason that that's not the case and the reason why, you know, year after year, we're looking at these numbers and it's like, well, you know, we're only giving money to, uh, you know, it's only 11% of the total money that the city's getting out is going to black folks or, or you know, but it's actually higher for Latino, you know, our next folks is 14, right? Um, is that, you know, we live in a racist society, right? It's structurally racist. And that's, that is the function of capitalism, right? That is how it's supposed to work. Um, and so, I think that's like the first thing, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. I think we have to acknowledge though, the reasons why that is. And like those reasons are like, like I said before, like capitalist stuff, right? And that to me plays into directly into just the other conversation that's usually happening there is that that's oftentimes like a political carriage stick, right? It's like, well, yes, we have to do Lincoln Yards, but it's gonna come with jobs, right? Like, yes, we have to close these schools, but it's gonna save money, which gives the city more money so that we can create more jobs, right? Um, we, you know, we're often told that there are these really bad things happening and the cost of that bad thing is gonna be jobs or we have to do this bad thing because we wanna keep these people having those jobs, right? And that's often what, we, what comes up when we talk about policing, right? Instead of defunding the police, oh, like, well, this is a, a career where black people can make $70,000, right? Or whatever. And for me, it's like when you when we have these discussions about the contracting numbers or things like that, every year it comes up that in fact, like both things are like not true. Like the thing that, that you're saying that we have to 
the bad thing that you're saying you have to do to bring jobs actually doesn't bring the jobs. And then, or they actually don't go to the folks who need it the most, right? The black and Latinx folks. And when you say like this thing that's bad and we can't stop doing it because it's going to create economic opportunity or jobs, that thing isn't true either, right? Um, and, and, and so that's to me is the big piece that I, that I keep thinking about, right? Um, when it comes to pieces like this. All right, you give me a lot to uh, respond to, and uh, I'm going to divide it into two sections. I'll deal with the first section first, uh, which is local as opposed uh, to national. Uh, and uh, so you're absolutely correct. We are constantly uh, being told uh, by our mayors. Uh, this goes back to uh, the great Harold Washington, uh, who didn't do this, but it's been this way ever since he uh, died. We are constantly being told by our mayors, we, the mayor in the city of Chicago, have to do this quote unquote bad thing, but it's really a good thing and it's going to help you. So closing the schools was positioned as a good thing for the people who lived in the neighborhoods where the kid, the schools were closed because they would get uh, more money allocated to each school as a result, which, of course, never happened. So that was a lie right there. Uh, and uh, that's just one example. Closing mental health clinics in, in high crime areas was positioned as a quote unquote good thing. You almost thought they did it to benefit the poor people in the neighborhoods who don't longer have mental health services. Do you follow me? It's always this propaganda flip. Lincoln Yards, oh, this is a good thing. <laughs> Even though it's gonna increase your property taxes and it's really not gonna benefit anybody because you're gentrifying an already gentrifying neighborhood. So how do you, uh, as a community organizer, combat propaganda that is so obviously flawed, is so obviously made up, it's like a lie, but it's being presented, broadcast over TV, radio, and in the newspapers as the truth. How can you as a community organizer fight against that? Yeah, I mean, I think, so there's, uh, to your point, Ben, there's like two pieces, right? <laughs> and this is the theme. This is what we're going to call this uh, this episode, two pieces, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's like one, there's like, uh, I think you're right, right? Like it is to a degree, not to a degree, it, it is propaganda, right? Um, and I think, you know, I was lucky enough in high school, shout out to, probably not listening, but I'll send it to him, Rodney Gore from Kappa League, right? To get the chance to study abroad um, when I was a junior in high school for a couple of weeks over the summer. And, you know, I think that's one, like one, it's like an American thing that we don't think we experience or like digest propaganda, right? Like other folks, every other country in the world, right? Can identify a period in their history where they feel like they, except for America, we, we don't think that never happens to us. Like that would never, you know. So I think that's like one thing, like help people unpack that. But then the second piece is like, I think earlier in the show, I was talking about like getting talked to or talked at as a, as a young person, right? And I think there are like there are a lot of myths when it comes to black people and black communities and like the path forward, right? Like everyone kind of acknowledges it's not perfect, but we all also can acknowledge for the most part structural racism plays a role, right? Depending on where folks are at, depends on how much they think that role is, right? How much capitalism plays into that. But of all the myths that are propagated, they usually fall into like one of three categories, right? It's like one of them is like sort of like a black capitalism piece, right? Which I think this contracted thing is part of. Then there's like a black personal responsibility piece, right? Which is sometimes religious, sometimes, you know, it's it's these single moms or sometimes it's these men locked up, you know, and all those things do 
play a role to a degree, but like they're not the drivers of this, right? And then the third one is usually like, I will, I'll say it's like community responsibility and the third one's like personal responsibility. So like you as an individual, like financial literacy, you know, like you need to uh, present yourself a certain way to white people, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And so I think like just acknowledging that those things exist and like when we're talking to folks, help be, not meeting folks where they're at, right? In terms of them believing those myths and like going with folks on that journey to like deconstruct that, right? Um, because when you, actually look at the solution and the goal it's not true right like i think you know you mentioned my older person like she I, when i watched the thing and i read the article on the the contract piece like leslie you know and she's not a big fan of mine but you know she i think she very clearly said like you know she's been in the council 20 something years and we're in the same place so we actually when you look at the outcome of these things it's pretty easy to deconstruct like whether it works or not right and i think uh, I won't announce it on your show. Somebody else should announce it. But like, yeah, it's been 20 years of like having the contract to fight with the city. And I think we can say that it hasn't produced what people think it does need to produce. So we shouldn't close schools because we think jobs are coming. And we shouldn't continue to fund more police because we think jobs are coming because it doesn't work. Uh, and folks don't get those contracts. Well, the other part of this, uh, Dixon, the other thing that people are up against when I talk about propaganda being waged you just uh, pointed out how like a racism plays a role in all this. And we're also getting in the midst of a very powerful counteroffensive, a propaganda uh, campaign being waged at the national level. So I talked about the local level, about how our local leaders are constantly selling us something that we know is not true. You know what I'm saying? Constantly doing that and then concealing information so they, it's harder for us to ascertain what the truth is. Then we wonder why people are alienated from politics, um, or I wonder anyway. But there's also this larger offensive going on on a national level. And we, I talk about it all the time in the show, and that comes from MAGA. And MAGA is constantly telling us that racism doesn't exist. And they're passing laws that say you can't teach the history of racism. I just read a story about um, a vote in Florida dealing with uh, gay rights and how the school board of Miami-Dade voted uh, not to have a gay pride month, okay, uh, to, because of pressure under Ron DeSantis' don't say gay bill. So you can't even talk about you can't even just say uh, there's, you know, and it like you can't even a teacher can't even discuss uh, same sex marriage in a public school because it's too controversial. You know what I mean? The right says, well, that's grooming. And so much is happening in that on the ad, uh, on the racial front as well. You can't talk about the civil rights movement. You can't take, talk about the Civil War because that's going to offend somebody or upset somebody or make white people feel guilty. And that leads to a counter offensive against any kind of effort to combat racism. So how do you see it? This is very, I know this is beyond the confines of the community that you work in, but how do you see how community organizers can fight this larger offensive? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a... Uh... Uh, it's a good yeah. I didn't I didn't know where you were, I didn't know you were going there, Ben. That's a good place to go. Um, I think nationally it's a similar thing. I think the Republican Party decided a long time ago, right, that like the culture wars are like a useful thing to mobilize their base, 
while sci- like it's sci- it, it is again I'm not, I don't want to call it culture wars like you know like these things don't actually oppress minor you know uh oppress people because they do right like these anti-lgbtqia like measures are harmful to queer people queer youth um in particular right like uh trans women of color like the most oppressed folks um so i i don't don't mean to say that right like because that's not what i think i but i do think that um of course i think it's wrong right but i do think that the republican party decided a long time ago that like fights over things like you know racism uh you know gender uh sexuality lgbt you know the, the spectrum of sexuality comes up these things are like fights that you can wage to like mobilize their base without like addressing the material condition that those folks are experiencing well and they're also like harmful and like demoralizing to um you know folks who are not in their base right folks who are not their supporters and so i think like for me as an organizer um whether you're in an election cycle or not it's important that we like continue to go out there and talk to and educate our folks right like because these sentiments do exist in, in in our communities as well, right? It's not a widespread thing, right? Like all black people are not any one thing, but like there are folks who are in our community who are homophobic, right? Who are transphobic. And they also deal with housing issues, right? It's like, we, yes, I, I gotta work with you on what's going on in your building, right? Or with your home or with our CBA campaign. But that doesn't mean I'm not gonna hold you accountable and work with you to like move past your homophobia, your ageism, right? Your sexism, et cetera, right? Like you, as an organizer, you're kind of fo- forced to deal with that. Um, and of course, you know, some folks are vitriolic with it and they're not just not exposed and like they have to be removed from the space. But, like that's the way to address it, right? Because it is a strategy, right? Like it is an intentional strategy that's being executed by white supremacists um, who are fighting with you know, other white supremacists in the Democratic Party over control over what to do with our money, right? And they're telling us that, you know, it's a, we're, we're trying to stop these others, right, from taking over the country and also jobs, right? Like, you know, it's like it, it, it all rolls really nicely into a, a narrative that they do. So um, I think I think it, there's a connection. I think it makes sense. And, and I'll, uh, I'll take it one step further. It's an intentional strategy that's getting more sophisticated in how they operate. And let me uh, give you an example and get your response. So I've been talking, advocating that everybody go see Punch Nine, the documentary about Harold Washington, and uh, whose election was in 1983 is the first black man to be elected mayor. So most people in Chicago, I would say a lot of people in Chicago weren't even born yet. So they're learning about this very important history. Uh, In the documentary, Dixon, uh, they show the reaction of white people to the the realization that a black man could be mayor. In those days, we had a primary system. So Harold Washington won the the Democratic primary, and he faced off against a Republican named Bernie Epton in the general election. Now we don't have a primary system, but back then we did. Uh, And so immediately, uh, thousands and thousands of Chicagoans who had voted Democrat their whole life were supporting the Republican because they didn't want Harold to win. And there were white people doing this. And they were openly, you could, they quote him in the movie, you see them in the movie and they talk about how crime will rise uh, and he's just going to give everything to the black people and we're going to lose and their prejudice, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, it's like I always say, when I, when I close my eyes, I just hear MAGA people talking. You know what I mean? Like, I just think about it. This is rhetoric from 1983, but it it's like what MAGA people say in 2022 
The difference is 1983, Harold Washington got roughly 99% of the black vote. I can't recall any prominent black person in the city of Chicago joining MAGA. Here's where the sophistication come in. The Republican Party and MAGA has promoted black people to articulate the same hate that we saw in 1983 against Harold. I'm just afraid to pop off of my mind, Kanye West, Herschel Walker, um, and um, Candace Owen. I, and there, you could probably come up with more if you think about it. And I think they're getting more sophisticated in their approach because when uh, a Kanye West or a Herschel Walker says the things that people were saying, white people were saying in 1982 to Harold Washington, when they say it publicly now, that gives comfort to uh, white supremacists, that gives comfort to uh, Donald Trump and uh, and his allies. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, um, uh, this is, yeah, this is like, I think, yeah, what you're talking about is like, all of it is like anti-radicalism, right? Um, because it just moves the conversation right to a different place versus like addressing systemic and systems-wide stuff. But I, I think like, I think the Republican party or like MAGA, those folks of that interest, like that technique is a response to what we, what we talked about earlier, or, you know, some response, it's like reverse token. I don't even know what to call it, right? It's like, I don't know if it's like reverse tokenism or if it's just like tokenism from my side. Like we see oftentimes, you know, black Latinx, you know, queer, different folks, right? And predominantly white or white interested, you know, white supremacist space that are focused on the interest of white uh, supremacy, take, you know, a handful of folks and say like, you are the appointed whatever, you can be on this council, you can be the spokesperson, you're going to be the first grant recipient, you know, whatever it is. And that's been a strategy the Democratic Party's used for a long time. And now the Republican Party, right, has wised up and has found different folks who share their beliefs, right, whether it's in their self-interest or not, right? And then that dominates the discussion. You're like, oh, why would they do this, right? Um, you know, but it's like, you know, no disrespect to any of those folks, right? Like you can be a Democrat or a Republican, but like if you're an athlete, doesn't mean you shouldn't speak, but like you're, you don't, un, like you are not the same as folks who are living in these communities that have to deal with this, that, the effects of these policies, or no, nor do you have the same power, right? Nor do you even, even if you once sh shared that position 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? That doesn't, like you're not the spokesperson for those people, right? People should speak for themselves, right? And that's the whole thing I think as an organizer we're all about, right? Like you know, making spaces so that the community can truly speak unencumbered, right? And fight for things that address their self-interest. Yeah, well, it is a struggle to get through uh, the noise. That is for certain. Uh, and um, all right, let's uh, take it local a little bit and talk about some particular uh, initiatives that you're involved in. Uh, one has to do with the Obama Center, uh, President Barack Obama's uh, center, which is going up uh, in Jackson Park as we speak. And uh, there's been a long-standing effort uh, by people uh, on the South Side to get some kind of community benefits agreement um, and some promises uh, that the uh, that, that development will benefit just 
actual ordinary normal people uh, who live in South Shore, Hyde Park, or uh, Woodlawn, and Washington Park, any of the surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, so what's uh, the status of, of that effort right now? Sure. So in, um, you know, going back, originally there was a request for like a C or a demand for a CBA um, between the foundation, the city, and the University of Chicago. For those folks who don't know, right, the University the foundation did an RFP process. So different universities bid to host the center, right? University of Chicago won. Folks didn't know originally what was in the bid, right? Or where it was actually going. Most folks assumed it was gonna be Washington Park or Jackson Park. Um, then I think in 2016, it was announced it was actually gonna be in Jackson Park. Um, the foundation told the coalition, like we're not signing a community benefits agreement, um, but you know, the coalition decided that, you know, the city ultimately can and should be, you know, responsible for its residents, right? And so the city can pass ordinances that address issues around housing, education, employment, et cetera, et cetera. So they should do that for this. Um, and, you know, fast forward five years in 2020, there's the Woodlawn Housing Preservation Ordinance, right? Which sets aside city-owned land to be built for affordable housing, has programs for homeowners and condo owners, um, and also programs for renters, right? Um, the coalition's fight now is broken up into three parts, right? Like South Shore was a community that was in, was supposed to be included in that original ordinance, right? The Fifth Ward Alder person um, at the time, Leslie Hairston, you know, said, you know, okay, like we're going to do this. And then South Shore got cut out of that. Um, so there's no housing protections for folks in South Shore. Um, I can tell a funny story about working with some tenants in South Shore around some housing issues. And they're like, no, we have... 10 opportunity to purchase. They're going to sell the building. They got to tell us. I'm like, no, that only applies to Woodlawn. You know, we're the same. I'm, I was part of that fight as well. They're like, no, no, no. You're not reading this ordinance. It applies. It applies. And I had to like walk them through it for them to see, right? So it's like, it's clearly something that folks have been needing and wanting and that would have been helpful in our neighborhood we didn't get. And so that's one area working to make sure everything that was promised in Woodlawn happens. And then the third piece, I think we'll talk about later is around what's being done to hold the university accountable because bringing the Obama Center without protections, right, is just one piece of like a long history of the University of Chicago's uh, violence, right, against the black community and its neighbors, right? Um, so in regards to South Shore, right, we have, um, we had a set of demands we came out with last year, kind of like to restart the South Shore portion of this work and not me, we, you know, the group that I'm with and run, we, we're leading on that. Um, within the coalition and, you know, the mayor passed a South Shore housing pilot that takes money out of the city's affordable housing opportunity fund and gives it to a select group of condo owners um, over the next uh, three years, up to $15 million. And, you know, so that's the last kind of like legislative thing that happened back in like July or August. Um, so obviously that's not, it's nowhere close to a win, nowhere close to what we want. It's some money out the door, but the pot it came out of and the fact that it's only going to a select group of folks in this neighborhood is a problem. And so we're going to continue to push until we get our full set of demands met. Um, in terms of Woodlawn, there's an RFP for some of the vacant lots, but not all. And like, we're going to continue to push the city because like all 52 of those lots need to be developed as soon as possible. In particular, the ones on like 63rd and Blackstone, like that are right next to the Y, right next to the they're going to be right next to the center. Poor working class black folks to be able to live right next to the Obama Center. And we're going to fight to get those lots as well. 
Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, there's a twofold fight, and uh, you mentioned one already. Uh, and now let's talk about the University of Chicago. One billion dollar reparations for South Side neighborhoods. Uh, yeah, so we, I mean, let's. I'll do, and there are folks who elders in in the coalition in our space who. I wish we could have got on today. Maybe that's what we'll do next time down the road so they can speak more to this because they've lived it and experienced it. But the University of Chicago from its inception to now, right? You can go through every decade and we're talking about centuries, right? For 18, late 1800s, right? It's 1900s to go. Centuries of harm, right? From urban renewal kicking folks out to UCPD, to the land banking, to bring in the Obama Center without protections, knowing it's gonna displace folks. Um, like there's just so much the university has done, right? And so the coalition originally back in 2016, when we still were starting to CBA work and folks talked about youth, University of Chicago accountability, reparations came up, right? Um, but there's been work from students on campus and folks in the community prior to that, fighting for that. And so we're going through the process now of taking those things that were from 2016 and like refining them. So I think those numbers are going to change because one thing we've done a couple of community meetings already. And the one thing I've heard from every single group, like, you know, South Shore Woodlawn folks on campus, they're like a billion dollars is not enough. It doesn't even touch the surface of the impact that's been had. So um, I think that's going to go up um, as we continue to do these and then we'll announce those probably uh, when we're done with that process sometime next year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, and the next time you do, come on, I would love to uh, you bring some um, uh, of your uh, associates from who uh, can recall these fights, because, yes, I, I, as long as I can remember, uh, there has been pressure against the University of Chicago to do more as opposed to do what it does. And uh, this is just embedded in the history of Chicago uh, and the whole, quote unquote, urban renewal process, which is really just to move people out of neighborhoods. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I look forward to that. All right, let's close it down with something that's not political uh, and uh, not so painful to discuss. It is kind of painful for me, actually, you know, to talk about uh, the propaganda efforts of MAGA uh, and the city of Chicago. So I'll talk about my propaganda efforts uh, to convince you, uh, Dixon, that my beloved Bulls uh, will be world champions this year. Okay. Uh, and uh, Dixon is a big-time basketball fan and a big-time Chicago Bulls fan. Oh, I don't know if you're a big-time Bulls fan. You're a big-time basketball fan. I, uh, I, I will watch anybody play basketball, yeah. Okay. Uh, I will, too. I, I will I will sit in the park and watch, uh, like, eight-year-olds play. Like, oh, that kid could be pretty good. You got to work on the right. left. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, what do you think? Uh, my beloved Bulls, uh, what's your uh, sense of how they're going to do this year? Um, I got good news. I got bad news. Okay. <laughs> so good news is that um, the Bulls will not be the worst team in the league. And the bad news is the Bulls aren't going to be good. I mean, they're the same thing. I, I think they're – I think Lonzo being hurt is like – going to ultimately define the destiny of the Bulls, like when he comes back, if he can't come back this season, right? Um, when you look at – I play fantasy basketball too, by the way. I'm the league manager this year. It's very serious business. We're having our draft on Sunday um, on Zoom. I'll send you the Zoom link, man. But, you know, when when Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and, and Vucevic on the floor, 
that's those are our best three scores and they they constantly get out scored by opposing teams right because of those defensive liabilities that you know some of those guys got and all three of them have and then you know Lonzo and Caruso kind of helps be like the buffer for that right because you know the league is more perimeter focused so both of those guys are really good perimeter defenders so like that limits the ability for folks to score if they're trying to score in the middle even like Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic aren't great interior defenders but like if the floor is collapsing it's easier to defend right like that's the whole reason the three-point shot is a threat so I think like not having that ultimate kind of like uh backcourt right um is gonna is gonna hurt us really bad uh, uh, so there's 82 games in a season utter mediocrity is 41 and 41 uh, last year the bulls won 46 games and made the playoffs uh so what's your prediction for how many games the chicago bulls will win this year um uh, i think we'll be fighting to get in the play-in so maybe like 30 i mean maybe 38 <laughs> maybe 40 like around there like play in play in level i think that's what we're gonna do uh, so, okay, so every year at my bowling alley, I do a Bulls prediction pool. I go around, and uh, you can't go 38 to 40. You got to give a number. You got to give a okay. number. So, what is the number? I'm trying to think. Okay. Um, I will go with, they won 46 last year. I'll go with 41 this year. I'll go with 41. Wow, you gonna you think that they're, they're gonna do worse this year than they did last year? Yeah, yeah, I think I'll do forty-one. I think Philadelphia is gonna be better. I think the Heat are—they're always weird in the regular season, but I think the Heat will be better than us. I think the Hawks might be better than us, just because they've they've got everybody healthy. Even though you know Trey Young is not a—you know—he's good on offense, but like he's a defensive, he's like a turnstile, right? Um. <laughs> I think Boston will be better than us. I think the Bucks will be better than us. It's like what five, six teams. I think Philly's going to be better than us. I think Toronto might be better than us. You know, like when you do when you start thinking about it, it's like oh man, you know, Cleveland might be better than us. Well, they got uh, who else is going to eat the nut? The Nets are probably better than us. So yeah, when you add those teams up, I think we're yeah we're going to be like seven, eight, nine fighting for that play-in spot. Yeah, we're we were six last year, right? Uh, you get six playoff slots and four play-in slots. Uh, seven, eight, nine, ten are play-in slots, and they uh, they compete for uh, the right to fill in the the seventh and eighth slot for the playoffs. So you have to play in. So uh, uh, if you get forty-one wins, you should be in a play at least a play-in slot. Yeah, Which- we'll be better than Orlando. We'll be better than the Pacers. We'll be better than the Pistons, the Wizards. So was that four teams? Yeah. yeah, that puts like eight. Yeah, we'll be in the play. Uh, all right, well, that's good enough for me. That'll keep me entertained. <laughs> uh, I uh, always pick high and always lose every year. I always predict the Bulls will win more games. I'm trying to send out good vibrations. Uh, I, I, I'll push back on you. Uh, yes, uh, Alonzo Ball is, is a key part of that Bulls perimeter defense, and he can hit the three and he gets the offense going uh, on the fast break. But I think Io, uh, who will be uh, starting at um, at point guard in his absence, the pride and joy of Morgan Parker High School, uh, I think you're underappreciating his value uh, as a perimeter defender. And uh, I think Andre Drummond, I'm going to say this, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. I think Andre Drummond is such a step up as uh, a defender 
and a rebounder, an intimidator, uh, that the Bulls will be Bulls fans will be pleasantly surprised. Now, this is of course I'm assuming Dixon everybody's injury free. Do you follow me? I mean, right, 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 right. So I would because the Bulls you look at them and they fall apart injury wise. But just let's just assume that no more major significant injuries. I, I've been watching Drummond in the uh, preseason and. Man, it's a whole new element. There's a, he's he's just not afraid. He's and he gets a lot of rebounds. So, um, as always, I'm very. I'm a, a mixed message, uh, Dixon. I'm <laughs> always gloom and doom when it comes to city politics. I began the show about being gloom and doom because people at Belmont Craig couldn't name their alderman. Okay, which I was like, I don't know, guys. Come on, the bar is low, and you can't name your alderman. Uh, or you can't name the Republican candidate for governor, even though you say you have a strong opinion about Pritzker, okay? Hey, come on, guys. Uh, so I'm gloom and doom there. But when it comes to my beloved Chicago Bulls, um, ro- uh, sunshine and lollipops. And uh, so uh, I'm predicting 50 wins. 50 wins for the beloved okay. Chicago Bulls. Ben, I like Drummond. I think he's a good rebounder, but I think uh... – He's the last teams he played for were Cleveland, then the Lakers, then Philly, then Brooklyn. Like all these teams like that are in title contention or trying to get titles, right? Minus Cleveland. Um, and then he he he's he's here with us. It's it's, it's giving. It's feeling like I don't know. I, mean, I don't think the defense from Drummond's gonna <laughs> gonna matter that much. But hey, uh, Ben, can I ask you a question? Yes, sir. Who do you think is going to win the championship this year? And you can't say the Bulls. Like, I want to, the real answer. Okay, I can't say the Bulls. All right. Well, just for, for, no, no. for that negativity on your part, I'm not going to save a spot on Grant Park when we have the championship celebration for you. Okay. Just for that negativity. <laughs> right. So we're having a celebration. I'm not going to invite Dixon to stand next to me. That negativity <laughs> of the universe. Uh, I, it's, Okay, I always have to qualify this because injuries are such a factor in the NBA. In, oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, of course. It's just like, so I have to like, who is least likely to have a significant injury? You get what I'm saying? And it's, mm-hmm. it's a real issue when you, once you put that in. But let's just, putting injuries away, I believe the Milwaukee Bucks uh, will be in the finals. And... Um, I believe, oh God, saying this is outrageous. It's probably from my, I'm speaking from my heart more than anything, common sense. But I believe the LA Clippers will be in the finals. Why mm. Leonard? I just love that guy's game. I love Paul George, uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, the um, John Wall. So I like the Clippers, but just saying those names, like I see injuries coming. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> those names. Oh God, I could see that injury and that injury. Uh, and uh, and I love their co- their coach. So that's who I'm going. To. I'm just saying injury free Clippers uh, versus uh, Bucks. Giannis versus Kawhi. Great seven game series goes down to the wire, and uh, I think Giannis is the best player in the universe, and the Bucks will win. There. There's my prediction right there. I, I think I think it's the Warriors. Oh God! I, I think can't. the Warriors are going to repeat. Okay, so now you got me in a. T- okay, we talk about transparency, and I'm just going to say. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to say this. 
all you warrior fans out there i can't stand the warriors i re I, re I respect their greatness i recognize that <laughs> he's in my top 10 of all-time great players i can't stand their arrogance i can't stand their glibness i can't stand uh just the fact that they think they're so smart you know somehow or other they've translated their success on the court as like a virtue like they understand how life should be and go no you guys you just got the good players all right so stop acting like this makes you pure that's number one number two the way they're handling the draymond green uh jordan pool fight is sending a horrible message to the world and you ask me why do i say that good question Dixon. Why you say that? i'll tell you that why i say that so there was a fight in a practice between mm -hmm. Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Draymond Green essentially provoked it. He went up to, we don't haven't heard the, we saw the video, we saw the, uh, but we didn't hear the audio, so we don't know what words were exchanged, but we watched Draymond Green go from one side of the court to the other, get right into Jordan Poole's face. Jordan Poole pushes him away, like clear away. You come into my space, all right? Uh, Draymond Green then leans in like he's going back to argue with him and then does a quick sucker punch, knocks him out. All right. They the at first the Warriors just say, oh, there's a punch. It was a fight. Thought we were handling it internally. The video comes out. And all of a sudden now they have to deal with reality. You know what I mean? People could see what happened. And the reaction is, oh, my God, this is he was out. of This is inexcusable behavior by Draymond Green. He should be punished. You would not tolerate this in a workplace. You would not tolerate this in a regular game. And so now they're acting like, well, we're really concerned. And all of a sudden, they're concerned. You got what I'm saying? And I'm like, now you're concerned? You, you saw what happened. Now you're only concerned because everybody else sees it. What do they do, Dixon? They go, we're going to dig to the bottom and punt to find out who taped this and released it and punish them. I'm like, what kind of message are you sending out? Have you not learned from George Floyd? I'm not saying what happened to George Floyd was the same thing that happened to Jordan Poole, but the principle is the same. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be like if they punished the woman who took the videotape, you know, as opposed to the cop who killed him. Do you follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I feel they are sending the wrong message to the world. They're, the message that they're, they're transmitting to the world is things are only bad if we're caught doing them. They're not inherently bad. So Draymond's behavior probably wouldn't have resulted in any kind of punishment, Dixon, unless that tape had been released. And after the tape's released, they're, really, they're not punishing Draymond. They're punishing the person who, whoever it is, they released the tape. Your response. Uh, I think, well, well Ben, I got to just for the, for, for you and for the listeners, is, I don't think it's comparable to George Floyd at all, but I get, I get where you're trying to go with that, but I don't think, it's, I do think, um, I'll say three things. So one, I, again, I'm not a professional athlete, you know, I was D3 in college, you know, I was all conference though, you look it up. Um, you know, I think that in track, you know, um, I got like eighth or ninth in the hundred, so check it out or a tie for eighth or ninth, something like that. I got a little medal. Anyway, um, every sports team I've been on, there's been a fight, right? So I think this is number one, right? I do think in contact sports, like that is a different type of workplace than like a regular, you know, workplace, right? Like I think, you know, I wouldn't be a great community organizer if I punch somebody every meeting, but you know, that's a different field, right? Um, I think people wouldn't come, or maybe we get more people to show up. I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> I think the second thing is, to me, the response to the video speaks to like, this is not me now or organizer. What we all know to be true is like when people can actually see something, like once it's public, that does change how people respond to it, right? Um, I think that's the whole thing with Chicago, right? Like backroom deals are backroom for a reason, right? Like you don't do that in public. Um, so I, I hear you on that. Like the response was different post the video. And now I'm going to take it a little, another level, right? I think that for folks who live in one of the most violent countries like ever, we really do not know how to talk about like violence or harm. And, and that's something that Joy James said that I think about a lot because I think like, you know, uh, the responses that we are, that we have for that are like to, and again, I'm not picking on you, Ben, but like we try and compare it to like other instances of violence or we talk about like punishment and like none of it is about cause and effect, like restoration, root causes, or like the harm itself and like treating that harm, like healing, right? And so I think like, that's something that I always think about. Like it's the same thing with Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, right? It's the same thing with, you know, if you take it to more, I would call more structural stuff, like like gun violence in Chicago, right? Like we just do not know how to talk about violence as a society unless we are perpetrating it, right? Um, and that, and again, that's also a kind of American thing. So I don't know, I mean, I think, you know, if, he's, if they've apologized and they're willing to play together, I think it's fine. Um, to your point, I do think one thing I read was that like most of the players who were there actually didn't see the punch. Like they just heard them arguing and they're like, oh, they're fighting, you know. So I think like the fact that the players saw it probably changed their perception. And that also probably helped with the added public pressure. But I think, I think Draymond will, will fix it. He's a leader. I think Jordan Poole gets it. Um, I think they're. I think they're gonna figure it out and win the championship. Now, does everybody get the extension? Do they stay together after this? I don't know, but I think the Warriors will be fine. Well, I okay. That's a whole other issue whether they'll be fine or not. <laughs> I, I agree with your like, what, the the heart of what you were saying completely. And I say this as an old coach, like I don't believe that a fight in practice is just part of the game. I remember when Jordan punched Steve Kerr, this back in the 90s. He punched him in the face in practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, when St Steve Kerr tells the story, this is the old days when we still had phone machines. By the time he got home, there had been, there was Michael Jordan had left a message apologizing and saying that was unacceptable. Right, right, right. Okay? Right, uh, right. And uh, so I think Jordan handled it really well, you know, and uh, Kerr forgave him and they went on and won a championship, three championships. So I understand it happens, but I never feel it's acceptable. And I don't think we should tolerate it. And I believe you're absolutely correct. Uh, like when violence happens, even if it's just relatively minor violence, like what Draymond Green did, mm -hmm. is shooting or a knifing mm -hmm. or beating somebody up. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you, if, if you just brush it under the table. See, I don't believe that the restoration process was going to happen unless that video was released. So Draymond mm -hmm. Green really great things publicly about what happened. And I don't know if you saw his comments. I'm a fan of Draymond Green. I just must make that confession. I, I, he's one of the few warriors that I actually like. And um, <laughs> one of the bulls. Uh, uh, so he, I thought he gave uh, a very heartfelt um, 
apology to Jordan Poole and his family, et cetera, and so forth. But I don't believe that would have. And then he said, I need time away to think about what I did, et cetera, so forth. That None of that would have happened had that video not been released. And that's mm. my problem. This gets back to the propaganda element that we began with. Like people, it's like the act itself was not what caused people to think about the act. It was the public embarrassment, you know, and similarly in LA. Oh my God, we talked about that the last couple of days. I don't know if you follow that one where the, the president of the uh, city council in LA say these horrible things and a rec recording that was taped. You get what I'm saying? And um, mm. it mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. when it released, then she's apologizing, et cetera. So, so I, 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 I know it's obviously not the same thing as a murder, uh, like what happened. George Floyd was murdered, but mm -hmm. the same attitude that we're going to cover up what happened, we're going to punish the person who uh, who who released the video, or the you the video somehow or other doesn't show the full story, or you know that reaction. Right, 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 right. right. I'm not really tired of that reaction. Dude. I got to tell you. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, what about the act itself? You know? Um, mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, I I don't think, but you're, you're, I do believe you're correct. It will not hurt uh, the Golden State Warriors uh, on the basketball court. Uh, and I'm just probably wishing that they, I don't like them as a team. They beat my beloved Bulls record. I, I admit that's the only reason. Uh, and I would just want to point out, uh, Dixon, yes, the Golden State Warriors in, in 2016 won 73 games, one more games than the Bulls won in 1996, but they did not win the championship. Just waiting. It. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't mean a thing without the ring. I got yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, LeBron. Thank you, Kyrie. Uh, and Cleveland. One time in my life, Dixon, I rooted for the Cleveland Cavaliers 2016. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? You're such a great guest and your your heart's in the right place in terms of fighting uh, for the communities that's outside. That I'll, I'll invite you to stand next to me in Grand Park when the Bulls win, even though uh, you don't believe that that will happen. All right. How about that? Yeah, when they win in 2045, I'll bring us both some chairs because I imagine our legs are going to hurt. <laughs> 2045, God willing, I'll be there. All right, Dixon, thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time. And the next time you come on, yeah, let's bring some of your uh, community allies and let's open it up. Uh, Will do. Conversation. Will do. Thanks, Ben. All right, thank you, Dixon Romeo. Um, community organizer extraordinaire thank you very much also want to thank uh, chris for doing an outstanding job uh something for dr d on paternity leave uh chris i think uh, dix and i agree give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash see you tomorrow everybody